Welcome to another episode of the Foxy Property Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Shorter, and today, uh, an interview that I've been looking forward to, it's with Adam Luttrell of Shift Property Styling in Hobart, uh, and uh, I was looking forward to this one for a few reasons, um, but most of those in the industry will know of Shift, um, and will follow them along on Instagram and, and other social media. They're doing some really interesting things, um, and we get into a lot of what we've seen on, on Instagram in particular. Some of the things that we really cover, we talked about how a experience with dirty laundry turned into a business which now is in a 1500 square meter warehouse in Hobart, uh, an industry leader. We talk about Adam's role as the non-stylist in the team, uh, very similar to me, uh, with Phoebe being the stylist, me not going anywhere near that side of things. Uh, we also talk about an app that they have in development, which I'm going to leave as a bit of a teaser. I won't go into too much other than to say one of the things that they that, that it's going to be doing um, is letting their agents get live quotes on the spot um, when they're with one of their clients, So, among other things. So have a listen to that one, uh, something to look for to, in the future. And then we also get into why growth for growth's sake can be very damaging for your business and, and how Adam thinks about that uh, and as a piece of advice that he wished he'd known early on in their kind of uh, business life. So without further ado, I will hand over to Adam. Um, we get started by asking Adam what he was doing before they got into property styling. I guess my background um, is advertising and, and marketing, um, but I think it's really important to note that um, my well, our business, and I say our, is, is essentially a team effort. Um, we are a husband and wife team. Um, Donnie and I um, have run the business since day one, um, started the business. Um, so we've come from varied backgrounds. Um, I'm a, as I said, I've been in advertising and marketing and Donnie was actually a pharmacist by trade. So we've had very varied backgrounds um, that have sort of somehow led us in, into property styling. It's probably some very useful, I guess, skills from a marketing and advertising point of view especially, but I guess from a uh, you know pharmacy point of view, uh, that customer service side of things as well, I imagine. Well, I think there's there's two distinct sides to it. I think there's you're right. There's there's the marketing, distinctive marketing kind of side, but then there's also the the, the business orientation side, which is you know something that um, I mean, Johnny was very focused on on managing the business, driving the business. Um, uh, running the teams, um, heading up the styling teams, um, whereas my focus is sort of largely uh, centred around, you know, sales, marketing and, and making sure that we're present in the market. Okay. I do have a follow-up question on that, which I'll just hold for now, but um, given that for a bit of context for those listening, that Phoebe and, and I here at Foxy are very very similar in the sense that we're a husband and wife team, so I'm very interested to kind of dig into that a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. But before we do that, how about we go all the way back um, and I've actually heard that, uh, from a video that you did, a, a, a talk that you gave, that the idea for Shift Property Styling was inspired by a pile of dirty laundry of all things. Um, why don't you tell us that story? Yeah, look, it's been interesting. We've been operating since 2006, so that's that's a long time in, in property styling terms in Australia. In fact, you know, at the end of the day, we were we were one of the early um, starters. In fact, we thought we thought we'd come up with this great concept at the time that you know property styling would be something that we'd be able to do, and no one else in the world would be doing it. And of course, upon further research, that it was pretty active in the states, and it was starting to get traction in, here in Australia too, in the bigger cities. Um, yeah, I guess we all started when uh, Daniel and I went for a, we were planning a, a weekend away um, and we decided that we'd go and have a look at a couple of open homes before we shot off on this romantic weekend. 
Um, but as we, you know, we got into the properties and as we went through them, we were sort of horrified really by how people presented their property when they were listing it for sale and particularly for open homes. You know, and, and walking through these homes and seeing giant piles of rubbish and, you know, uh, stuff in the sink and, you know, socks and undies on the floor, it was just really, really quite bizarre for us. You know, we just couldn't understand why people were doing it. And so, you know, we went away for our holiday uh, that day, that Saturday. Um, by the time we got up the east coast of Tasmania for a, a romantic weekend away, we'd already half written a business plan. So, you know, I, I guess that's where we started from, from early stages of, of concept to um, getting into consulting and, and helping people in their lived-in homes to three months later having four or five house lots of furniture sitting in our garage at home. Which is where it sounds like a lot of um, companies started. Certainly we started in terms of that garage was full and then slowly it kind of creeps into maybe a storage shed somewhere and, and onwards and upwards from there. Yeah, definitely. You know, and we, we did the exact same thing. You know, we got to a point where, you know, we, our second living space was gone, our back third, fourth bedroom had gone, the garage was gone. And, you know, we eventually sort of got so excited about investing in 70 square metres of re um, warehouse space. You know, and you look at it now, we, we've moved from that to 300 to 400 to 1,500 square metres now. So it's, you know, it's it's all about progressive stages in developing the business. And I've, it's, it's really interesting. Um, I don't think that any staging company that is going down the path of, you, you know, buying their own stock and building up their own inventory, I don't think that anybody that I've spoken to who is either kind of early in that stage or thinking about it or maybe a little bit further along like yourselves, nobody hasn't had that same sort of process and having to figure it out. You know, at what point can I go into storage shed and how am I going to get this stuff in and out and make it efficient? And you know what, maybe it's getting too complicated being in five different storage sheds and now I need to find one space and then I need to expand, you know, all of the same issues. I think everybody that goes down the path of buying their own inventory is going through the same thing. Yeah, look, and, you know, it was interesting listening to Imogen last week. You know, she's obviously got the flexibility of, um, you know, utilising hire companies and so on. You know, we, we never had that here in Hobart. So it was always had to be something we had to do. We had to have our own inventory. There was no choice. Um, and like Imogen, we'd done the, we'd done the Deborah Gould course, um, which was the only course available at the time to sort of get some background education. But the market in the US and Canada is so incredibly different from the one here in Australia that at the end of the day, there were elements in running your business that were relevant, but the rest, unfortunately, didn't quite um, match our market here in Australia. So we had to we had to learn and adopt and grow and and challenge ourselves along the way to determine what was next, what we had to do. I mean, this is all in a time before iPhones existed as well. So you know, it's it's it was a, it was crazy times. You know, photographers were still using thirty five mil film to take photos of houses for sale. It's all uh, definitely a lot faster these days with the technology and the iPhones and everything available. Yeah. Well, I, I do have a question again um, that I'm going to hold for now about kind of some of the changes that you've seen recently. But before I get into that, um, you did, we did touch on the fact that you're a husband and wife team um, and Danielle is, I guess, the, the stylist among other things. Um, so my first question, because as I mentioned, it's very specific to me, is that, um, well, for me, I'm not the stylist in our team either. Um, and I, I guess I want to get a sense of what is your kind of an average day for you in, in your business, um, given that you're not specifically the styling side of things, unless yeah. I'm mistaken. 
No, 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 no. I think I think you're right. I think um, much much as you say. I mean, Dial manages um, all you know, and a great deal of the important elements of the, the business, including you know, managing statistics, looking at the accounting, um, you know, following up with our suppliers, ordering stock, um, managing our team of stylists. Um, and, and getting sort of the, that side of the business operational, you know, it's it's so important to make sure that all these elements in a row, um, aside from just the styling day-to-day business, you know, it, it, running a business is different from just having a styling business. Styling is great and we get lots of people saying, you know, we'd love to be a stylist, but at, at the end of the day, it's, they're looking for the joy of fluffing cushions, not the yeah. sort of the work that goes into running a business. So I guess um, you know we have a we have a team of, of twelve the um, you know um, full timers part timers and casuals, um, but our day to day jobs are, you know we, we we run a business where we're trying to look for a minimum of you know one to two installations a day. Um, we have our own obviously our own inventory, but we also have our own logistics. Um, so we have our own truck and van and, and removalist crew. Um, which we decided to do in probably more recent years, um, but we'll go through that a bit more detail too. But, you know, basically the process is for us is that, you know, we, we, have, we have large pack bays where we bring all the furniture together in one area to pack each job. Um, so I select the furniture after being out with the sale as, as a salesperson to choose the, the, to sort of get the jobs. Um, pack the, allocate the furniture. Um, we um, the stylist then come through and top dress, um, make sure everything's ready to go. We review the job to make sure it all meets the requirements of the um, the job, and then photograph it, pack it down, and have it ready for the logistics guys to load on the truck the night before the job, so that we're ready to go for a seven thirty start the next morning. And is there any <laughs> little side note? Is it, do you ever have days where you you're so busy that that Preloading doesn't get done because uh, I'm, <laughs> I'd like to be as organised as you're saying, but uh, unfortunately for us, it doesn't always happen that way. It's it's rare, um, really rare. Some days we have to pop in a little bit earlier in the morning to make sure the truck's loaded again if it's been delayed or there's been rain or something like that. You know, we have fairly inclement weather down here that causes all sorts of grief for us. Um, but generally speaking, the, the, because the guys um, are um, pretty accurate about their timing and what their responsibilities are and what their schedule is for the day, um, and we allocate enough people to make sure it works pretty smoothly as well, and that's the, that's the joy about using casual workers, for example, is that as, as things get busier, we increase our casual workload for the, the fruit picking season to make sure that we're getting through everything we need to. Sure. Okay. Um You've been. You mentioned two thousand and six um, was when you started operation. So it's been, I guess, thirteen years or thereabouts um, since you've started. Yep. A couple of very, I guess, broad questions, and I'll leave them broad because you know you answer them however you you want to. How it first comes to mind. But how would you sum up, say, the last thirteen years um, in a kind of sentence or two? How that how it's been for you specifically as a business um, and what you've kind of seen. Look, it's it's. It could be depending on which days. It could be absolute hell that could define the days and the and the way we work. It, it could be ebbs and tides, um, and they, and there are really high points as well. So it really just does depend. Um, what we find is that um, uh, that is that when you um, when when you have these ebbs and tides, you've got to look to fill in work to make sure that you're looking for new opportunities and to drive 
you know, uh, business so that it's actually generating revenue. That's the tough thing. And, you know, we've, we've been through, you know, times like the GFC, for example, um, which, which affected business terribly and, and consumer confidence. So the, the market dropped off and people weren't selling and, and doing all that sort of stuff as well. But we've always believed that property styling is sort of a bit of an answer to most sort of ebbs and tides where, you know, if it's if it's busy and, and the market's booming, then people want the premium dollar anyway still, so styling's important. But the same when, when the market drops off, you know, it's just as important to get styling done to try and get that, that dollar that, you know, in a highly competitive market. Particularly when, as you mentioned, you know, the consumer confidence is down, buyers aren't out there um, committing to things that they otherwise might have. And, and I guess if there is that slowdown in the, on the, I guess, demand side, obviously the better you can stand out from the small amount of supply there is or potentially the large amount of supply there is, then uh, the better outcome you're going to get. That's right. And then again, you know, it comes down to, to competition as well. You know, you've got, we've all got competition out there working in the same space that uh, we work in. And, you know, and I know, you know, from hearing the, the conversation with Imogen last week that, um, you know, we all occupy different spaces of the same sphere. So, you know, it's, it is hard, you know, we, we've watched the market go from just being us in a, in a monopoly market here for, a, you know, the first five, six years um, we had another you, know, you have another competitor enter, and then another one, and you know, and another one again. You know, they 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 keep coming, but I think you've really got to just make sure that throughout the whole process that you stick to your guns, and that you make sure that um, whatever you've planned to do or the space you've planned to occupy, you you work. You know, you develop that brand niche to gain as much traction as you can as possible. Okay, um, another. I guess broadish question, but I guess from the outside looking in, um, often when you know I'm looking at other stylists, and I'm sure others do this as well, it's easy to see if if all you're looking at is Instagram or you you know your social medias that you, you kind of see the highlights and and everything looks really great and it's like the grass is is greener sort of thing. I'm certain that wouldn't be the case. Um, and I guess the question is, over the the 13 years, if there was one thing that you would say has been the most difficult thing you've either had to learn or to deal with, um, and and you mentioned the GFC, so maybe that. That's part of it, but is there anything that comes to mind uh, when I ask what's the the most difficult thing you faced? Look, it's I mean I think the the advent of social media has been both good and bad for business. You know, it's it's great in in sort of um, getting your message across. Um, certainly great for sharing um, things like your stories and your, your successes. Um, but you're right; it, it's it's largely a, a smoke and mirrors tool. Um, but it's also a tool that can be used to leverage business as well and to drive, I guess, um, aspiration towards your business or your brand. And I think, you know, we use social media quite heavily. You know, we we, we don't shy away from the fact that we we leverage that as as much as possible. Advertising space, marketing is expensive, so using something that's um, well, inexpensive or free is incredibly important. Um, we, we found that over time as we've grown our audience that, you know, it allows us to communicate to people who we probably wouldn't have reached before. It allows us to tell stories about what we do uh, more directly and, and more in a more engaged way. And it, it sort of helps us um, also engage our sort of second tier kind of consumer, which is the real estate agent, by actively engaging them in our social media posts. So, look, if, if you're looking at something that was has been the most, by, by I guess, by a dynamic change in business, I, I actually do think it's social media for, for businesses like ours. You know, social, uh, the things like the 
GFC have come and gone and we've all recovered from it. But, you know, moving forward, if, you, if you're not part of the social media structure out there, you, you're going to lose potential ground in the future. It's as simple as that. And I think for us, our view on that is, you know, it's all about branding, reputation, you know, we'll call it whatever you want. Um, but social media is just the best way to get people's attention in, you know, 2019 uh, across various platforms. And I think it's important that people look at a number of platforms and figure out what works best for their business and, and who they're trying to get in front of. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day for us, if, you, if you're not thinking it's about brand in some way, um, then you're only going to lose ground to, to the others out there. Yeah, look, and I think, you know, we all suffer from the, um, you know, the FOMO kind of effect of social media and, and, and the, you know, my furniture is not as good as theirs or, or my, my styling may not be as, as hot as theirs on one particular day. But, again, you know, the thing is that if you, if you look past all that and you look to what social media can provide you, um, you know, we're starting to use, you know, links back to campaigns, for example, for our agents. So the agents we work with, you know, fairly closely, we use the fact that we've got the followers on on Instagram, for, for example, that allows us to add links back to their campaigns so that we put up these pretty images, but the actual link, you know, to, to swipe up goes back to a realestate.com listing, for example. So what we're looking to do is leverage um, social media to make sure that we're part of a, a partnership, a brand partnership with agents, much more than just a supplier. That's really interesting. And I guess it's, uh, like I say, taking advantage of, um, I guess, an advantage that you have given the num number of followers you have and, and tools within Instagram that not everybody is going to have access to. So it's, it really is about, um, and I, I think part of the problem is people look at others and kind of see what other people are doing. And a lot of the time it is just, you know, figure out what your own kind of strategy or your own thought process for this sort of stuff is, how you want to leverage it in whatever way that is, and, and kind of run your own race, put your head down and do your own thing. That's exactly right. And look, you guys are fairly, you know, um, fairly active on social media. You know that there's, there's no quick and easy solution to getting the followers behind you or getting the likes on each post or getting the comments. Um, you know, Donnie all works day and night to make that happen. That's that's something that um, it just doesn't come about. You know, I, I take all our photos, for example, and, and we've always supplied photos to our agents and our clients for marketing as well. So we, we shoot every job at the end of it and we promote it on Facebook, for example. But the images we use on Instagram are very different from those because we want that, that polished look. You know, the images are processed. They're not straight out of the can. You know, there's no, there's no shame in that. You, you, you can't just take a photo on a, an iPhone and, hope, and put it up on Instagram and say, why aren't the likes coming in? You've actually got to do the work behind the scenes to make it, make it all happen. Definitely. All right. Um, I'm going to change tact a little bit. So in 2015, you, uh, Shift Property Styling, won the Tasmanian Micro Business Award as part of the Telstra Business Awards. Um, and I guess my, I'm intrigued to know what, what the two parts to this, what you got out of that process. So simply being part of the process and submitting yourself for, you know, as, as part of the potential to win the award. So what did you get out of that? And then secondly, was there any tangible impact that you guys saw um, as a result of winning the award? You know, were you able to leverage that in any way? I guess um, to, to, to give you some background to the Telstra Business Awards, and it's going to sound like I'm a, a participant on The Voice, but we had a really tough <laughs> year that, that year. The 2014 was a really rough year for us. We had um, our daughter in hospital for six months, and during that time, Donia was basically, she was in there every day, and, and I was sleeping at the hospital every night for that, that time. 
and we were still trying to run a, a business. And Donio at that time was still um, a part-time pharmacist for um, a government department, so it was it was um, it was really quite hard on us and trying to manage a business. So I'd, I'd imagine, at that time I'd um, I was starting to lose a bit of focus. I was sort of getting pretty drained, and so we engaged a um, a business coach to give us a, a bit of a hand and sort of try and find the light at the end of the tunnel. And that was that was quite a good thing, but um, I guess the, the the reason we we went for the Telstra Business Awards and it was much like starting our business. We were told not to do it. We were told it wouldn't work in two thousand six. We were told to pack up and keep our existing jobs. But at the time, our business coach also said we weren't ready for the business Telstra Business Awards. So like everything else, we did it. Um, yep. Excellent. And, and you know, it's not a failure to listen to people. It's just a it, it, when we're told no, it pushes us harder to <laughs> to, to find a solution to something. Yeah. So it comes out of um, adversity in a lot of ways. So we decided that we'd do it. And you know, the Telstra Business Awards at that time was it was it's about a fifty hour commitment to make um, to get through the the process of um, of putting together the questionnaire and and submitting it. But the great thing about it along the way um, was that it, it made us look at our business probably um, seriously for the first time uh, in, a, in a true business fashion. That is, who are we, where are we going, what are we doing and how are we planning to get there? And for us, it was it was an amazing way to look back on our business, um, develop data and, and history and statistics and determine, you know, what our business was going to be in the next five to ten years. Um, and so the, the Telstra Business Awards was a great opportunity to to find out all about our business and, and really find out about who we are as business owners trying to run this thing. I've heard, yeah, I, I guess you've probably given me an answer that I had heard in or very similar answers to other people who have gone through a, a an awards process of any, any type like this. Um, and it really, I mean, the, when you have to stop and really understand your business in a way that um, you need to be able to, you know, explain it in in paper and in these forms, um, it, it really kind of, you know, it, it's the sort of thing that you think you know, um, but often it takes sitting down and actually filling out something like this application form that it, it tells you these things that you probably didn't realise. Yeah, it, it did. You know, we it actually throughout the the whole um, process of of submitting the award, we're actually looking at things. And starting to answer questions, and then literally saying, "Shit, we're not actually doing that. Let's figure out how we make that happen." So we'd stop doing the entry, you know, go left, and and sort of start working on on getting that element done, so that we knew we had that part of our business underway and sorted. And so what it did is it refined our business business practice, and it made us look at, at what was actually generating revenue, what was actually working. So instead of offering ten crazy services, we narrowed it down to three that we wanted to run with. And, you know, it meant that we weren't trying to be um, masters of everything. You know, we, we were looking to try and make sure that we had strong revenue lines that generated good business. So it sounds like, I mean, it probably was the majority of benefit um, of, of actually submitting it was just in understanding your own business, who, where you've been, what you want to do. But I guess, was there any component beyond that when you actually won the award that you feel like, was there any tangible benefit that you could actually see because you were able to leverage that or just from a recognition point of view, anything like that? I think one of the big, 
big things, and I think probably one of the, the biggest thing that changed our business direction was at that point in time, once we'd, we'd submitted the award, um, we'd got through our daughter, Alana's um, process in hospital to some degree, was that we made the decision that Donnie was going to leave pharmacy behind and come on full-time. And I think, you know, for a, for a business that was running, you know, it was running with me doing the, the full-time kind of stuff and then Donnie part-time but and then us evenings and weekends. What it made us do is say, if, if we don't jump and make this happen now, it's it's forever going to be a half business. And I think the thing that we, we learned at that time was that moving forward, if you don't commit to making something happen, it just it won't happen. So grabbing it by the proverbials and and just making making it it happen. It also, I think one of the big things is it gave us the recognition that we were heading in the correct direction. We were going the right way. We just needed to make sure that things were all ironed out and we had all our ducks in a row to, to really continue to grow. Um, but I think that to answer your question, I think that it, it was it was kind of interesting. We won the award and it was a Friday night and we were all super excited. We had our, our small team there. We were only a team of four at that point. Um, we were we were super excited, but the next morning we were kind of expecting this whirlwind of activity. But all yeah. we saw was the tumbleweeds rolling through, and we were thinking, "Well, what what's going on?" Um, but what we realised is that again, that winning these awards is great, but you've then got to leverage it yourself. If you don't leverage yeah, it yourself, sure. you don't get anything from it. Okay, no, that's good advice, and I I think uh, for those you know, even considering something like this, whether it's the Telstra Business Awards or any other version of, you know, there's an, the EY Entrepreneur of the Year, That you know, there's a whole heap of things similar to that. Um, even if, you know, as I said, I haven't gone through the process, but even if you stop and think about, well, what would it be, what's involved in, in sitting down and actually putting this together, I think that could be a really valuable thing, even if it's not for the sake of an award or anything like that, it's it's quite valuable. Um, I think, yeah, I agree. I think it's having the background there to determine where your business is at and have it measured externally by a third party, it makes a huge difference. You know, you know, it just it, you just identify all these things you didn't realise existed. But then you've got the you've got the leverage. Then you know, we went out and we ended up getting um, a, a fortnightly article in the local newspaper just because of it. You know, the the so you know we became from that we became a, a known in that community as as the leader in that area so that was kind of great you know it meant we had something as a result of that award as well excellent all right um just a couple of questions left and then i will let you go um one of them here you shared a video probably a month or two ago now where you did a walkthrough of your warehouse down there in hobart um uh, we you know you, you you kind of touched on it already but you showed the storage and selection areas and all that sort of thing and i think the for, you know from my point of view i'm sure you'll probably agree with this but the amount of engagement that you got from that from the styling community was incredible um and for us you know we're, we're sitting here in a in our own kind of early version where we're, we've got our warehouse and we've got some of our stock and, and as I mentioned, our processes are still coming along and we're learning and everything. But just from looking at a video like that, that's a very aspirational sort of target for, for us and I'm sure other stylists. Um, now, I guess I'm getting to my question because I, I also recall you mentioned that video that you were going to do another one at some point showing the ground floor in the same building. Um, I wonder if you could just quickly, for those either who haven't seen it or who are interested, if you can describe just your building um, yep. and maybe give a sneak preview of, of the other areas that weren't covered in that video. 
Okay. So we, as I said, we've moved from space to space to space and never found anything that's really um, perfect for what we do. Um, our last move, we went from a, um, a very dark, dank um, kind of space, 300, 400 square metres, I think it was. Um, unfortunately, it had a lot of trucks passing through it, so there was a lot of diesel dust and a lot of residue, and, of course, it was destroying our furniture, and, and it was just dark. It wasn't very pleasant to be in. But our landlord had a, um, a space above us, which was a uh, first floor, and that sort of terrified us a bit to start with, the thought of going to a first floor, um, being at the mercy of a three-by-three-metre three elevator to get in and out of, um, you know, all our jobs in and out. But we were offered an incredible rate, and it had it was a saw, big sawtooth roof with lots of natural light, and, and you know, we, we took a fairly substantial space. Um we, we've been there for, for five years now and, you know, even today as we speak, we're, we're finally getting an office built there. You know, that's that's how exciting things are for us at the moment. Um, you know, nothing's ever perfect. It, it, it may look perfect in these videos and so on, but what we've done over that time is we've, we, we've developed strategies and methodologies to get stock in and out as quickly as possible based on the fact that we have to use an elevator. And, and in fact, we actually share that space with a, a local furniture retailer as well, so we uh, we occupy a, a, a space of around forty two hundred square meters combined, and you know we have to use one elevator to get all the stock in and out for deliveries. But the the one thing we have learned is efficiency in that space. So making sure that um, the stylists can get to stock quickly, that um, the the logistics team can get stuff in and out quickly. Um, and we will be doing more um, showcasing how that works, and we're, we're looking at doing a, um, you know, a bit of a live event so people can ask questions on how we do things as well. Um, so we can do, actually do a live answer kind of scenario and walk people around the warehouse to see more. So we'll we'll get we'll get around to that, and we'll do more content on that to help people learn about, I guess, managing a warehouse space and making it as effective as possible. But, uh might be open to other stylists. That sounds very interesting to somebody like me. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, you know, it, the process of managing stock, and, it, you know, it's, it's something that um, a lot of property stylists don't think about. You know, they, they all want the warehouse and they all want, you know, we all want space to put our stuff. But it, the logistics is not a side that most people think about. And, you know, in order to, to get stock in and out quickly, you've got to have the processes and the ability to lay out a floor plan that will maximise that you know, incoming and outgoing stock. It's as simple as that. Certainly something we're learning here. Um, well, I look forward to seeing more and uh, we'll be keeping an eye on that when the, the live events start. Yeah, yeah uh, Last question before I get into the just the, the rapid-fire questions that we finish on, um, something that we kind of touched on very briefly before we hit record was that you have a, an app that you are developing at the moment. Um, what can you share with us about what the app is and who it might be for and, and, and I guess its purpose? Okay, so uh, you know, I guess over time we've we've learned a few things about you know um, who our market is and who we're targeting. Um, you know, working with social media does a fair bit to sort of target, um, I guess, direct client um, relationships, and, and that's really important. But we're all about trying to develop um, longer term real estate agent um, referral partnerships. And, and in order to do that, particularly in a highly competitive space, we're we're looking at um, ensuring that we provide material to our agents that sort of help them sell, not only sell the concept of, I guess, styling, but also help sell us as a brand partner to their business. 
so what we've done is developed a, uh, an app that we will be sending live very shortly that agents will be able to use um, and log into to see all their, their, their previous jobs with us um, and it will detail a lot of information on uh, the sales success of that property, things like, you know, asking price, selling time, um, uh, the, the, you know, the, the amount of uh, dollars put into the project to give them an idea. But that, that app will also have the ability for the agent to do a live quote with, with their vendor directly. So it, it minimises the time, I guess, we have to spend going out cold calling and sourcing work because the, the, the quote will come directly through to us to follow up. Um, and so we'll have, I guess, controlled um potential work coming in that we, we can follow up on and you know and 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 manage and and i guess the, the other thing is that it, it provides the, the the vendor some really great images of what previous jobs have looked like so they've got something to measure with as well when they see the quote come through they can see the style that they'll get they can see projects they've seen before um you know that have been done with that agent and they'll have um, a good idea of, you know, how much the project's going to cost them uh, before they even get started. So it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a way to allow agents to really engage and be part of our brand as well. So it's not just us trying to be part of their brand. Well, I'm intrigued. Uh, I think one of the things that I've come to realise, which I guess sounds obvious but maybe um, I was a little naive, is that uh, – you know, we, we might have trouble in the early days and we still do, you know, pitching our own services and trying to sell, um, you know, home staging to, to, a, to a vendor. Um, I just assumed that agents who already did styling knew how to do that. And I've come to learn that there are many agents out there that themselves find it very difficult to, to sell the idea of staging to a vendor themselves. Um, and often, you know, things like advertising costs in uh, much higher priority and, and if they can't even get that across the line then they're not even going to mention home staging so I think something like this sounds very valuable for for agents in a you know in a way that helps I guess sell the idea of it yeah well that's right I mean the, the idea really is, is to give the agents the confidence and also the understanding because there's nothing worse than when an agent goes in to sell um, the concept of styling and they go in and sell a three-bedroom package for two thousand dollars for example you know it's it's not you know, and so by the time you get to see the uh, the vendor, they've they've got two thousand dollars in their mind, which just is not a, a price that you could match. So yep. what we want to do is sort of you know, rule out most of that stuff and generate these sort of qualified leads that come through quickly and effectively that we can then you know work with to to try and get the jobs done faster for these these um the partner agents if you like. Well, as I say, I'm very intrigued and I'll, you know, good luck with that. I'll, I'll be watching closely. Um, I've gone a little over time, so I'm going to go very quickly through a couple of these rapid fire questions. Um, I say that I've done this a few times now and every time I say they're quick answers, I end up trying to jump in and add more, but I'll try not to do that today. <laughs> All right, <laughs> here we go. So how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for later success? I think one of the things that we've learned very quickly over time is that um, as we've developed our team is that, you know, actioning things that are causing problems within our team are the things that we've got to do. So failing to do that is one of the biggest problems I think business can have, especially in small teams. So if you don't address, address um, any, you know, staff issues that then prolong and become bigger issues, you've got problems. So our, our failures in the past have not been addressing those fast enough and making sure they're either sorted out or the problem is resolved by a team member sort of 
leaving basically. Um, you, you don't need the grief in a small business. You've got to keep pushing forward in a t- with a tight team as, as quickly as you can, as fast as you can. I very much like that answer and maybe there'll be a part two one day we can dig into it a bit more. I want to ask more, but I won't. Um, <laughs> uh, next one, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments that you've made? And that could be in the form of money or time or energy or anything else. I think for us, um, for really was it was the investment in our own um, logistics team, our truck, our van, our our guys. Uh, you know, we were at the mercy of contractors for a very long time. You know, and we could have been we can be sitting there for for two hours waiting for a um, removalist truck to turn up that's run late after they've put together a bed for a client before us or whatever. So for us, our best investment ever is, is taking control of our own inventory um, through having our own logistics team moving stuff in and out so that we run to our own timeline and not the timeline of someone else. Okay. I would agree with that one. Um, what advice do you wish you'd received when you started the business back in uh, 2006? Um, I think that probably the most important thing is is for us would have been the whole concept around growth. You know, growth is really important for a business, but um, not to get big for big sake. You know, find your own space and and just manage that space well, so that you're you're sticking to plans. Um, you're sticking to your your original goal, and and making sure that you know you're not you know buying more inventory than you need. You're not putting on more people than you need. You're just doing it in a fashion that sort of meets a a manageable growth curve, I guess, because otherwise what you're ending up doing is you're just buying yourselves more and more problems. Okay. And what's, we're getting to the last couple now, what's a bad piece of advice or recommendation that you do here in the home staging and styling industry? I think um, one of the big things we, we sort of noticed, particularly again, you know, with a, a very um, overactive social media community in our, in our space is, is, is the, the desire to have, you know, the most expensive and best inventory in the world, um, you know, sitting in your warehouse. I think one of the big things I think people don't understand is that, you know, at the end of the day, most people who are either your client or your who are buyers don't actually recognise that value that you're putting into top-end stock. I think having some top-end stock is really important um, to make sure you've got a good coverage, but making sure you sort of mix it in with you know other inventory that you've got, so that you you, you have a nice balance there somewhere. I, I think there's this over over um, thinking that goes on in our space and overspending that goes on in our space to have the, this top end sort of stock that's just absolutely not not necessary. It's good to have, but it's not absolutely necessary to be um, you know from one particular supplier that is is all top end kind of inventory. Okay, and the last one I've got for you is. And this is more of a personal thing. And uh, what is an unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? We want to know how weird you are. You see, this is this is the thing. This is <laughs> the thing with the uh, the property styling community. Whether we're just a bit OCD and like to be a bit vanilla, as as Imogen said last time. Look, I we I don't probably have anything that's terribly exciting apart from loving to go back into the warehouse on a Saturday morning to to tidy up and get it sorted again for the week, which is pretty sad in itself. Um, but you know, I, I guess realistically, you know, we, we don't, because we work so hard at, all day and all night, it seems, you know, w- there's not a lot of time for us time still, you know, so doing the things that we always want to do, you know, we have our interests outside work, but, uh, they're, unfortunately they're just not that exciting. <laughs> fair enough. Fair so enough. And I, I can come weekend dance mum and dad to our daughter, which is absolutely 
wonderful. You know, there's nothing better than standing in a hall with a bunch of screaming mums. So, you know, <laughs> that's pretty exciting, but not that crazy. Well, I can certainly relate to the uh, the weekend coming in. There's there's something special about being in um, the warehouse on a Sunday when it's all quiet and, and kind of getting things ready. I, I can definitely relate to that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, I'll let you off the hook on that one. Um, we might we might have a think about that for a round two one day. Um, Adam, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate the time that you've given up to me. Um, as I said, I've gone a little over time. The last question I have for you, though, is where can people who either want to follow along with your journey, maybe ask uh, some questions or reach out, what's the best way that uh, they can do that? Well, uh, look, we, we have pretty broad coverage, but Instagram is always the best place, you know, um, and we're, we're a handle is shift property styling. Um, you know, that's probably the best place to, to see what we do and, and see who we are. Excellent. All right. Well, look, I'll let you go. And uh, for those listening, please thank Adam. Uh, let him know what uh, that you had a little listen and, and uh, maybe ask him a question or two if there's anything that I should have asked that I haven't. And uh, thank you, Adam. My pleasure. Thanks, Joe.